Well, good morning. Welcome to Scottsdale Baptist Church. So glad that you're here. If you're a first, second time guest, we're glad that you're here. My name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here at Scotts Hill. We're in a series that we're calling All I Need for Christmas. And last week, we began the series by looking at all we need is joy. And Josh Hansen uh, spoke to us last week, brought a message from the Christmas narrative of the birth of Jesus about joy. And one of the things we saw about joy last week is joy is this internal uh, disposition that is not controlled or activated by external circumstances. And through Christmas, one of the things we really need in our families, in our homes, in our culture is that of joy. Well, today we're going to continue in that birth narrative, and what we want to do is look at the second thing that we need, and that is, as you saw in the video, peace. Now, it is no secret that we are living in times of turmoil, amen? We're living in a time where there is a lot of unrest in our families, in our culture, and in our world. But I just want you to know that ever since the foundation of our country, we have been in one conflict after another. In fact, our country was founded in the middle of struggle and conflict and an eventual war with Britain that led to our freedom as a nation. And ever since the founding of America, we have been in numerous conflicts. We have been in wars. We have been in civil war. We have been in world wars. We have been in fight with terrorists. We have been in the Middle East. Matter of fact, I read something this past week that was an alarming statistic. 93% of the history of the United States has been times of war. 93%. 222 years of the 239 years of our existence has been around conflicts and struggles. We are not strangers to that kind of turmoil. In fact, beyond that, of outside of our borders, we have to deal with constant strife. We're dealing with struggles in the home. We're dealing with social strife. We're dealing with racial division. We're dealing with all kinds of difficulties, political unrest in our country. I have never seen us at a point of partisanship like we are in the United States today. I've never seen our country so divided along party lines that we're even in this impeachment drama of our days, and it's creating a lot of continued strife. But I want to tell you something, we're not the only ones that are experiencing it. The whole world is experiencing this. And a matter of fact, there's never been a time when we haven't. Struggle and strife and difficulties and fights and conflicts have been around from the very beginning. Some historians got together and they wanted to try to figure out how many years of the 5,000 years of recorded history, how many years have we experienced peace? And here's what they discovered. A group of um, historians say that the world itself has experienced less than 200 years of peace in 5,000 years. There's another group that says, no, 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 it's a lot less than that. Actually, it's only 26 days of peace since the history of humanity. And they don't agree with one another and they're still fighting about that today. And so we're living in a time where we experience this, but it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Struggle and strife and conflict have been around from the beginning. As I said, we see that um, um, Alexander the Great 
took over the world by ruthless means. The Roman Empire took over the world by ruthless means. And we find that even in the days of Jesus, when he is born, there is political unrest in the whole world. And what we discover is even at the birth of Jesus, King Herod is so disturbed by the news of a new king that he goes in and around the Bethlehem vicinity and he murders all children two years old and younger to try to secure his kingdom. It's nothing new. We see it through the pages of Scripture. The very first family, Adam and Eve, two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain killed his brother. You know how, much, you know how long he hated him? As long as he was Abel. And so, um, but even from the very first family, that was a dad joke, okay? That was a bad dad joke. I didn't say it. You don't have to agree with me, Tucker. He'll use it Wednesday night, watch. Uh, but what we see is even from the beginning of of time in the scriptures. We find one faction after another, one king after another. We see even in the line of David, the constant strife and struggle that was there. It's no wonder that the prophets wrote about the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who's going to come and make all things right, the one who's going to be called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah wrote about this 740 years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then in verses 6 and 7, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah wrote that 740 years before Jesus was born. Now, we know that he's speaking of the Lord Jesus, but in that day, they didn't know that. They thought maybe he was speaking about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great king. He was a godly king. He was a very successful king. But even in Hezekiah's reign, he could not bring lasting peace, nor any king beyond him. And what we come to understand is all through human history, there's been no leader that's been able to bring sustaining peace. There's been no government that's been able to sustain peace. There are no social reforms that can sustain peace. There are no policies that we can write that can sustain peace. There is no one party that can bring peace. Going to a spa doesn't even bring lasting peace. And you can get the most wonderfully, beautifully smelling odors in your home. There's no peace. Why? Because humanity in and of ourselves do not have the capacity to maintain peace. Because Jeremiah says it well. In Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what is Christmas about? Christmas is about God sending you and me some incredible gifts. And not only does he give to us joy that's unspeakable, but at Christmas, at the birth of his son, God gives to you and me something we all desperately need, and that is peace. It is peace. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We'll start in verse 10. 
Last week, Josh began us in this series with looking at Luke's gospel. Luke's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what we find in the beginning of Luke's gospel, chapter 2, is the birth narrative that Mary and Joseph have to go to Bethlehem. They're from Nazareth. They make a 90-mile trip to Bethlehem. And there Jesus is born because of the Roman census. They had to go to the home of their lineage. They're both from the line of David. And so Jesus is born there in Bethlehem. There's no room in an inn. So he's in a stable. He's born in a manger. Most likely, scholars say it was a cave. Uh, we can't depict a cave on the stage, so we built a manger. And so in that, Jesus was born. After his birth, the angels announce it to shepherds, lowly, unappreciated shepherds. And then in verse 10, the angel tells us of these incredible gifts. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. And this morning as we look at this topic of peace, we pray even now that your Holy Spirit would fix our hearts and our minds on this truth and that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Not only does he bring joy, but at Christmas we have peace. And we have this incredible peace. Now, when you look at the pages of Scripture and you look at the word peace, you find that there are three aspects of peace in our lives. And these aspects of peace are in sequential order. It is important that we get the right one first. And these are the three areas of peace that you and I mostly need in our life. Matter of fact, this is true for every single human being. Now, here's the wonderful thing about the peace of God. And the gift of peace is a lot of times, well, all the time, it's like this, this package. You've seen some of these given at Christmas time. Maybe you've even given them. That you give a package like this, and you open this, and there's another box in it. You open that, and there's a, pa there's a gift, and there's another box in it. And you open that, and there's another box in it. And this is the kind of gift that just keeps on giving. Well, peace that God gives to us is this kind of gift. And it comes in different layers but each one is dependent on the previous one. And so what peace do we need with God? There are three kinds of peace, and here's where we all begin. We all need peace with God. It begins right here. Before we can experience any kind of peace in the world, we need peace with God. Now, the reason for Christmas it's not that Jesus came in the flesh so he can see how we felt about life and how difficult life is for us. The reason for Christmas is not that Jesus came for the purpose of um, teaching us biblical principles and how we can live better, successful lives. The purpose of Christmas is not that Jesus came so our marriages can be happy. 
The purpose is Jesus did not come for the purpose so our children would be stable and settled. Jesus didn't come so that you and I can have a happy, healthy family or that we can have a holiday and get out of school and get off work and go travel. It's not why he came. Here's why Jesus came. Jesus came for one reason, to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about reconciliation. Christmas is about the greatest reconciliation that is needed. And that is the reconciliation between a sinner and a holy God. When Jesus was born, when he took on human flesh, he came for the purpose of you and me being restored in a relationship with the God who created us. That is our greatest need. And some people will push back on that. No, my greatest need is not that I need peace with God. Sure it is. Let me give you two reasons why we need peace with God. And peace begins in that relationship. Number one, by nature, we are all enemies of God. By nature, we are all enemies of God. Now, some people will push back on that and say, no, Phil, wait a minute. You're going a little bit too far there. I like God. I like him. I really do. I think he's awesome. I pray to him whenever I need certain things. I mean, after all, aren't I created in the image of God? Yes, you are. Every single human being without exception is created in the image of God. But here's the problem. That image has been defaced in you because of sin. And you will never be what God has intended you to be. And because of sin, you have committed high treason against the king of the universe. And that high treason causes you to be separated from God. Now, you might say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm good with God. You know, man, God, I, you know, we're good. I'm, I'm good with him. That might be true. But is God good with you? And here's the problem. High treason brings with it one penalty, and that is death. The Apostle Paul says this, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It is a heart. It is a mindset. It's this thing that, yeah, I like God, but I'm not going to do what he says. I like God, but he's not going to be in charge of my life. I like God. I want a certain amount of God, but I don't want enough of God to change me. I don't want enough of God to make me love my enemies. I don't want enough of God to make me love a person that's not like me. I don't want enough of God that he's in charge of me. And that's high treason. And whenever we refuse to yield to God, we might think we're okay with him. But according to his own standards, we are enemies of God. But you, you think that's bad? It gets worse. <laughs> See, not only are we enemies of God, by nature we are unable to reconcile with God. I'm unable to reconcile with him. Paul says that you cannot even do it because your heart and your mind and everything about you is so committed to enslavement to sin that you can't do it in and of yourself. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 3. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. One. 
There's not a person in here that does not fit this statement. Let me tell you, let me break it down for you. It means four things. Every single one of us, we are unrighteous. There's not a person here that's righteous in and of your own nature. You don't have it in you. You go to our nursery, every little child in there may be cute and precious, but every little child in there is another level of barbarianism in our culture. You don't teach them to say no. You don't teach them to throw a temper tantrum. It is in them from birth and it's in you. Every single one of us by nature is unrighteous of our own. It gets worse. Not only are we unrighteous, we're unreasonable. He says, no one understands. We have this incredible ability to rationalize what we do. And we do not understand. Why? Because Josh spoke about it last week. We are spiritually dead. And when you're spiritually dead, you can't respond to spiritual stimuli. We don't understand the depth of our problem. But thirdly, we're unresponsive. He says, no one seeks after God. When we're enslaved to sin, we run after our own passions and our own flesh. And so we are unresponsive. And the last thing is we're unrepentant. We're unrepentant. This is our state. What a horrible diagnosis of humanity. And we need peace with God. And that's why Christmas is about reconciliation. It's not just about family. It's about God sending his son because instead of condemning every human to a hell separated from him, you know what God did? God loved us so much that he gave his son as a gift for you and for me. And Christmas is about God reconciling broken humanity to himself. Only the cross is a greater demonstration of love. And at the birth of the Lord Jesus, moving to the cross, there we see God's heart for you and me. And it's only through a relationship with Christ. And you know that as a believer, once you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you've come to that realization of your sin and you're being separated from a holy God, God changed you from the inside out. That's why Paul writes this in Romans 5, 1. I love this verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you today, the only peace that you can have with God is through one person, and that is the Prince of Peace. If you're a child of God here this morning, you understand that in Jesus there's forgiveness. You understand that in Jesus the wrath is replaced with grace. That in Jesus you're no longer having a God as a judge, but you have a God as a father. And in Jesus Christ you know that you will live forever in the relationship that God has brought through a restoration between you and him. I'm going to tell you, if you're this morning and you're not a believer, my friend, the greatest peace you need It's not peace from others. You need peace with God. And the only person who can bring that to you is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Listen, if I can say anything, if I could only say one thing, I would say this, Christmas is for you. It's for you. From eternity past, the Father has known you. There's never been a time he has not. It's for you that he sent his son as a perfect gift, the indescribable gift So you can be restored to him. 
and that you would have peace with him. I know people, and I've talked with people on their deathbed, and some people have said, well, you know what? I hope things are okay between me and God. And they go to their last breath in uncertainty. And then there are those who are believers, who have yielded their lives to faith in Christ, and they, with a smile on their face, anticipate the Savior who came for them in peace. Our greatest need is peace with God. Paul wrote to the Romans, he says, for if while we were enemies and we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled will we be saved by his life. Our greatest need is peace with God. But like a gift that keeps giving, for those who have experienced peace with God, there's a second kind of peace. And it is the peace of God. It is the peace of God. And the peace of God only flows to those who have a peace with God. You see, not only do we have this incredible peace with God where we've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ, but we can now have the very peace that God has. Here's how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace of God. This is the kind of peace that flows from God. Let me ask you this question. Can you ever imagine God in heaven in a panic because he doesn't know what to do? No, you can't. Can you ever imagine God in heaven just wringing his hands and pacing back and forth thinking, I don't know what to do. Those stinking humans, they just can't get it right. He never does that. He never does that. Why? He's at perfect peace. The Lord Jesus had the peace of God in his life. Think about the life of Jesus. He was perfectly poised in every situation that he was ever in. Do you know that psychiatrists studied the life of Jesus from the gospel? And you know what psychiatrists have come to understand about Jesus? He was the most stable human being emotionally that they have ever seen. He's standing before Pilate in absolute um, stability, emotionally sound. The only time we see him struggling is in the garden when his divinity, his, his divinity and his, his humanity were in struggle with one another. But Jesus was always at perfect peace. You remember when he was in the front of the boat and the disciples were going across the Sea of Galilee? What was he doing in the front of the boat in the middle of a storm? He was sleeping on a soft cushion. And he was sleeping. He was sound asleep. The disciples were in a stark panic. Now, these men were fishermen. They were raised on the Sea of Galilee. If they are alarmed about a storm, it is a serious thing. They understood it. And as they're in the boat, they are panicking. Jesus is asleep. The, 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 the gospel says that they came to him and woke him up and they asked him this question. Don't you care that we are dying? Don't you care that we are dying? And Jesus must have looked at him and said, what? What? What are you talking about? Peace. Be still. The peace of God in Jesus even brought peace to nature. Because he had the very peace from his father. Now listen to this. When you 
and I have the peace of God. When you have the peace of God in you, you have the God of peace in you. And when we have the God of peace in us, we don't need to panic. We don't need to be in a frenzy. When we have the peace of God and a God of peace living in us, we should be able to walk in the very nature and the character that the Father does in the most difficult of times. Now, when we think of the peace of God through scriptures, there, let me just fill this in for you. As we have the peace of God, it should impact our lives in another area. We should have peace in the middle of confusion. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And if he's a God of peace, then you and I don't need to live in confusion. Now, we don't have the knowledge that the Father has. We never will, this side of heaven. But the reality is this. If he's in me, I can trust his peace when I'm confused. Father, I don't understand it. I don't know that I'll ever understand, but I trust you in the midst of this time of confusion. Peace in the middle of spiritual warfare. I love the way Paul puts this at the end of Romans. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. When we go through difficult times in spiritual warfare and there's oppression on us, we have the victory because the God of peace himself has won. And there's nothing that the enemy has over us beyond the peace of God. Peace in the middle of failure. Now the God may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, no matter what I do, even in my times of failure, I can have the peace of God. That he is sanctifying me. He is working in my life. He's doing all of these things and he's going to use every single thing to make me like Jesus. And even in the midst of my failures, he doesn't disown me. He encourages me because there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And here's the last one. Peace in the middle of doubts and loneliness. May the God of peace be with you. No matter what you're going through, even times of doubt, the God of peace and the peace of God is in you. Even when you're going through times of loneliness, you're never going through them alone because the one who is the author of peace is the one who's in you. And you and I can walk in peace. See, it's not only that you and I have peace with God, but we have the very peace of God in our lives. And what we fail to do is we fail to appropriate the peace of God in us. A couple of weeks ago, somebody gave me a gift card. I, I love getting these gift cards. And so if you're ever going to give me a gift, you can give me a gift card. Here's the problem with people giving me gift cards. I put it in my desk and I forget about it. Isn't that right, Carol? I leave them in my desk, I forget about them. And this gift card's worth $50 to Texas Roadhouse. Don't you want to go there when we finish? Texas Roadhouse. I'm not going to say anything beyond that. But uh, this card is worth $50. Now, it's only worth $50 if I activate it. If I leave it in my desk drawer, which I have done, and for some of you who have given me gift cards, I've forgotten and a year goes by and I find it. But it's not until I activate it that it becomes worth $50 to me. And I want you to know this, that the promises and the peace of God have been given to you in Christ Jesus. And you activate the peace of God when you walk in 
that peace. When you take his word and you apply it to your life, then you experience his peace. Well, so there is peace with God. Then there's peace of God. And then there's a third kind of peace that flows out of these two. It's peace with others. Peace with others. Now, this one's a particularly difficult one. Here's why. It's a willful choice. I have to choose to be at peace with other people. And one of the things that we recognize is this, that once I have the peace with God, and then his peace is in me, I have the peace of God, and now I am to display God's very peace to others. I'm to share the character of God with others by the way I respond to them. It is a willful choice. That's why the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Because of the peace that I have with God and the peace of God, now for the first time I can live with peace with others. The world gets this backwards. The world wants to start living with peace with others. You know what? You just need to be peaceful with one another. No, no. You will never know true peace with other people till you know peace with God. And because the peace with God leads to the peace of God, which leads us to the ability to have peace with others. Paul writes to the fleshly Corinthians. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. You know, we're living in, a, in some difficult times, as I said earlier, and particularly during the Christmas season. Particularly during this year, we can be very impatient, can't we? When you're driving on Market Street, when you're going through all the stores and shopping, when you're dealing with people, we can be impatient, I am not the most patient person when it comes to shopping. In fact, I hate shopping. I do not like to shop. Chris buys all my clothes. These new shoes that people keep asking me about, somebody said, are those Kohans? I said, I don't know Kohans. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't like shopping. But yesterday, yesterday, I, Chris and I went shopping. I thought, you know what? I'm going to spend the day with my wife. I'm going to spend all day shopping. We'll probably shop 45 minutes. That was all day to me. <laughs> she can tell you that. And we went shopping, and we don't shop like I shop. I go to one store, get what I need, get out. But no, we got to go to this little store and this little shop. And oh, isn't that cute over there? Let's pull in over here and check this out. And so we're going through all the different stores. We went to one store, and the girl says, aren't you the pastor at Scott's Hill? I said, how do you know that? She says, well, I go to your church. I was thinking, man, I'm glad I'm peaceable right now. And she says, I've never seen you in here before. I said, oh, yeah, I was here last Christmas, and uh, only time I was there. And so we have to, we're going from store to store, and we're just, I'm being patient. I asked Chris, I said, I'm being pretty good, aren't I? She says, yeah, yeah, you're doing pretty good. I give you that. And then we went to Michael's at Mayfair. because I needed some stencils for all of these things. And Chris said, oh, let's go to Michael's at Mayfair and we can pull in there. I went around that parking lot four times. I'm driving round and round and round and round. I'm thinking, oh, I said, Chris, let's just go home. I'll write on it with a marker. She said, no, 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 it's something will open up. So I'm being patient, right? And then all of a sudden his car, these people get in his car. 
And I'm thinking, oh, yes, thank you, Jesus. I'm right behind them. I stop. I put my blinker on. And I'm waiting, you know. And they get in their car. And they sit. (laughs) And he's texting. Hello, I'm behind you. I wanted to blow the horn, but a preacher cannot blow the horn at people. I've done it before, and they remember. Oh, hey. So if I ever wave at you, I might not be that friendly. And so I'm, I'm waiting there, and, and he's texting, and then she's talking. I'm thinking, what are they doing? Then a member from our church pulls in, and she rolls the window down, and we're talking. And all these people are piling up. I'm halfway paying attention to what she's saying, because all I'm thinking about is that car getting out. And he, I'm not going to give up that spot. Well, she goes on, and finally, they do nothing. Then a lady puts her seatbelt on. I'm thinking, yes, they're getting ready to move, and they don't move. Listen, listen. If you're going to do that, please don't text. Come on. People are behind you waiting for you to move. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about the T-shirts that I saw that morning at another shop. One T-shirt said, I wish I were an octopus. That way I can slap eight people at once. (laughs) The other other T-shirt said this, I'm not antisocial. I just don't like you. I'm thinking, oh, I need those shirts right now. And I'm sitting there waiting. And finally, finally, they don't do anything. (laughs) And the cars are piling up behind me. I say, I got to get out of this. So I just pull straight through. And as soon as I get past them, what do they do? Yeah, you know, because probably some of you. (laughs) I circle around, find a place. We park. We go in. We get the stencils, we get back in the car, and I didn't blow the horn at anybody. I really don't. I didn't know this was confession. (laughs) But here's the point. You and I have not only been given peace so we can be reconciled with the holy God, You and I have not only been given peace so we can have the peace of God, but we have been given peace so we can display the peace of God to others. Some of you are dreading this Christmas because you got to see that person again. Some of you are dreading this Christmas because that ex-spouse is going to be there. Some of you are dreading this Christmas because you got to celebrate with that employee that you don't like. Some of you are dreading this Christmas because you're going to have to see your kids who hurt you or your parents who have let you down or that pastor who has dropped the ball in a relationship. You see, and if we're not careful, we can stop the peace of God flowing from our lives to others when at a time they need to see the character of God more than ever. And God saves us to be reconciled to him. And God saves us so we can have his peace. And God saves us so others can see his peace through us. You see, the peace of God, with God, leads to the peace of God 
which enables me to live in the peace with others. If you're a child of God here this morning, Christmas is about your reconciliation to Him. Oh, we can celebrate family, we can celebrate friends, we can celebrate holidays, but Christmas is about God loving you so much that He gave His Son so that you can be at peace with Him. And when you take your last breath on this place, you will take your first breath in eternity. And you are right with God through Jesus Christ. But not all of you can say that. There's some of you here this morning, you're thinking, oh, I just hope I'm good with God. You know, no, I, I think we're okay, but I'm not sure. And you've never yielded your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. My friend, you are not at peace with God. You might try to convince yourself that everything is good, but you will go to your grave with the absolute uncertainty and then the reality of eternity. And Christmas is about you. It's about you. That the Father would send His Son as what Paul calls the indescribable gift to bring you peace with Him. And today the Father is giving you an invitation. He's calling on you to surrender to His Son, which will give you the peace that goes beyond all understanding. God is speaking to you today. Believers, some of you are not walking in the peace of God because you're trusting your own way and not His. And he's asking you to activate the peace that he has put in you. That you would trust him. That you would walk with him. That you would have your confidence in him. That you would yield to him. That you would embrace the promises of his word. And that you would walk with the very character of Christ. For some of you, sin is keeping you from doing that. And God is calling you to repent. And the reason we don't have the peace of God is because we're not walking in obedience. And he's calling you today to die to that. Some of you are not at peace with others. And the Father is calling you today to reconcile that broken relationship. Because the only Jesus they may see in this world is in you. And if you are keeping him from them, because of unforgiveness or resentment or anger. He's calling you to reconcile today. Peace with God brings the peace of God, which brings peace to others. Therein is the answer for humanity. That's it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But it takes surrender. I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand. We're going to do something different that we haven't done here in a while, but not that you don't stand. Bow your heads, close your eyes.
Nobody looking around. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. If you're here this morning and you know that you're not good with God, you're not right with Him, but you're willing to surrender your life to Him this morning, I want you to pray this prayer to yourself. Not out loud. Just pray it to yourself. There's nothing about this prayer that's specific, that's powerful. It's your confession and your surrender that is life-transforming. Just say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin separates me from you. I can't do anything about it. But I believe Jesus is your son and I believe that you sent him at Christmas for me to live a perfect life, to die, to be buried, and to raise on the third day. And I believe he's alive today. And I believe he's my only hope. He's the only one that can give me peace with you. And I surrender my life right now. My past, my present, my future, I give you everything. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to be my king and my Lord. I ask you to come and live inside of me and give me the peace that I need with you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me of these sins. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, believer. What promises are you not activating in your life? Is there a sin that you need to confess right now because it's blocking you from the peace of God? Would you do that right now? Believer, what relationship do you need to restore this Christmas that you might demonstrate the God of peace and the peace of God in you to others? Father, thank you for your word, for truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Donnie's going to come and he's come lead us in an old hymn. It is well with my soul. And while we're singing that, if you're not a believer here this morning, and, and, and if you're singing that and you're willing to surrender your life to faith in Christ and you're willing to be bold and step out and say, hey, I've done that and I'm going to do that. I'm going to be right down here. I'm going to ask you to come to, I'm going to ask you to just simply come down here and say, Phil, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. I want to pray with you. Believer, if you need to come down here and you're trusting God for something, you come and call out to him for that. If there's a relationship that's broken that you have tried to restore but that person's not willing to, you come down and you cry out for that. During this song, this is your time with God. Peace with Him. The peace of God. And peace with others. And when Donnie starts singing, you come. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows 
As you leave here this morning, may you go in the peace of God. Also, our Christmas Eve services, 3.30, 5 o'clock on the 24th, obviously. This place holds, we'll have about 700 people in here. It will be packed at both services. We want to encourage you to come. Bring your friends, bring your family, bring people who want to come and celebrate. It's going to be a sweet, intimate time as we celebrate together. We begin at 3.30. Get here early. God bless you. You're dismissed. And don't text while you're at a red light.